All right, welcome to the A-Game Podcast. Today we have an awesome guest. His name is Jason Eisner. He is a world-renowned chef. Uh, he does a lot of really cool things uh, with the vegan, the plant-based space. He's got cannabis-infused cocktails, CBD food. He is a jujitsu black belt, very high-level competitor, owns schools, has trained with the creme de la creme. Uh, just an artistic guy, entrepreneurial type, really good dude. Um, very, very patient. I had some... Uh, some deck issues. I was actually doing the podcast from a house that we were rehabbing just because the way the timelines um, were. The guy was just awesome. I mean, I, I I had a really great time talking to him. He had great energy. He's he's just a creative guy. He's doing things to give back. You'll hear a little bit about his charity, but check the guy out. I'm going to put a bunch of links for all the different restaurants and stuff he owns in the uh, in the LA area and, uh, and some links to his charities and stuff like that in the show notes. Definitely follow him on Instagram. You will see that he's not just a guy who cooks food. He takes pride in it, the presentations, some of the stuff he's doing, just the way it looks. It's literally like an art page. Like, I don't know if it's a Pinterest page, but his social media for, for himself and for all of his restaurants is extremely entertaining. Makes you want to go to a sunny place and uh, eat really healthy food and uh, drink some cannabis infused cocktails, which sounds amazing right now. So uh, we talk about a bunch of different things during this episode. We talk about, uh, obviously, the plant-based eating, vegan, um, what it really means, what it really is, how it affected him and why he decided to do it, the health benefits of it, how it affected him as a jiu-jitsu competitor. Uh, we talk about pizza, all the different types of pizza from Italy to Detroit style, deep dish, Long Island pizza. We go over all the different things, which you know might not sound too interesting, but if you're in, uh, into pizza at all, it's really interesting. And again, what, what I love about talking to people like this is it doesn't matter what I'm talking to them about. When they're people who really do deep dives and they understand these things on a cellular level and they're passionate about it, it's always interesting to hear them talk about it. So again, I tell everybody, whether it's jujitsu, pizza, or real estate, those are the only three things I can really talk about for days on end. But I enjoy hearing other people talk about what their passions are and his are just really cool. You know, food, jujitsu, people, it all goes really well. So we talk about niche food. So there's a lot of business tips on this too that you're going to want to hear because there's things we talk about where you would think the specific niches that he's in would limit his audience or his customer line for business, but you'll see the thought process behind it, which I, I, I really love and I think adapts to everybody as an entrepreneur, especially out of the real estate investors that don't know where they want to go or they don't want to target too much of an avatar for their business or for their customer base. This is really good information for you guys. Um, we talk about uh, ingredients in Italy, and Europe versus here, how you feel, why they're different, which is very interesting for anyone who's gone and eaten pasta all day in Italy and not felt like you were going to pass out after. It's very interesting to hear some of the health sides of that. We talk about jujitsu, obviously, Hicks and Gracie, Matt Serra, Mark Turner, um, you know, uh, Henzo Gracie. We talk about Damian Mayo, Andre Galvao. There's a lot of good talk there. We talk about lineage, respect, um, a lot of good principles that people should carry for leadership, whether you're in jujitsu or in business. It's good tips for you and why you should listen to the full episode. Talk about CBD and THC, the health benefits, ways that it could affect you mentally, the different types of strains, what happens when you cook with it, what happens when it, it affects your body or affects your mind. And what I think is really awesome is he talks about mental adversity, whether that's coming from something in your life that is from your doing or from not, but even something as basic as, um, you know, not, not having a great reaction to, to cannabis or something like that that you're looking for um, and, and learning how to take a breath and how to use your mind and, and practice that muscle of talking yourself out of a downward spiral, I think is huge. It was such an interesting take on some of the things, you know, I hear people like, oh, you know, I tried marijuana. I didn't like it. I freaked out. 
And he's got a very different take on that that I thought was really interesting. And it's a very strange topic that's acceptable now that maybe wasn't a while ago. So listening for that, we talk about uh, obviously mental adversity. We talk a little bit about microdosing, which is another thing that's coming out that's big. It's going to be interesting to see where that happens in the next five years with people taking psilocybin or very small uh, doses of mushrooms, which I'm sure there's People listening to this that think that that's crazy and, and don't understand, and they think that somebody's taking a drug and tripping out, it's not the case at all. So we talked a little bit about that. Um, we talk about social media. We talk about doing your best, talk about culture as a leader and as a business, um, and many, many other things that apply to life and to business and to jiu-jitsu. And he gives a lot of really good, um, good points and philosophies that, once again, I love the fact that you can take these principles, whether they're from jiu-jitsu or from being in a restaurant, or just a lot of the basic things he talks about for the mindset and the battles and the the daily struggles of just being an entrepreneur, especially with things like COVID and, and pivoting business and having a restaurant in California. There's things you have to do to, to, to take on differently and the mental side of that has a huge piece. So um, I love hearing it because it applies across the board. I don't care what you're doing. There's great things you could take from this episode and you're here. What a good guy he is. And obviously if you are ever out in California, Go try his food, try his restaurant, say hello, or uh, ask him to do some jujitsu with you and then go and do all of the above. So I appreciate Jason Eisner. Uh, I, again, can't say enough how much I enjoyed actually talking to him for a while. We cut the episode down, but there was a lot of, uh, a lot of conversations we had and um, just a good dude. He's always going to be a good guy in my book now. I can't wait to get out to California. Hopefully take a trip out there with Mark Turner, do some jujitsu, eat some food and have some cocktails. So uh, last but not least, this episode, go to nicknicknick.com. Get your free ebook, How the Real Estate uh, Market Has Changed Since Coronavirus. Things you need to hear. It's it's a very quick, easy read. It just gives you some basic principles of things that you should be paying attention to for the last 12 months that may or may not have shifted. And if they have not yet, that's okay. You still need to be aware of these things so you know what to keep your finger on and keep a pulse on as the market starts to shift after that. So there are going to be basic things that are going to be indicators when stuff starts to go up or down or adjust or change, and you really don't want to get caught with your pants down when that happens. So this is just a quick read there. And also, most importantly, let's get you into some real estate. So if you're a wholesaler and you have some buyers and you want some properties, I can help with that. You can help yourself with that by reaching out on nicknicknick.com links and get all the ways to contact me on social media and all the different ways to listen to this podcast. So definitely check that out. If you're looking to get into real estate, I've had more calls in the last couple of weeks than I have in a very long time. So whether you don't know where you want to get involved, you want to learn about partnering, a bunch of people have recently jumped in that are new partners on some of our deals that we're doing um, that are getting a great return um, and they're getting their feet wet and they're having their money make money for them. There's ways we could talk about partnering up on that on a, a workload line, on a financial side, we can figure it out. But let's have a conversation. Let's figure out how to get you in, whether you want to buy properties from me, sell properties to me, partner up with me, whether it's residential, land, fix and flips, um, any type of joint venture, we can figure out a way to do business together. So hopefully you will contact me, write to me, uh, message me on social media, and let's figure out how to get you involved one way or another. It is about to be the second quarter of 2021. Do not wait any longer. Get your butt into real estate. Get your butt into jujitsu. Um, let's make this a great quarter. So hopefully you guys are getting something from this. We have some big guests coming on the next couple of weeks. And uh, Jason Eisen was one of the ones I was really excited. So I, I pushed it up the line a little bit and released it because I couldn't wait to share it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, Jason Eisner. Um, as always, thank you for listening to the A-Game Podcast. I appreciate everybody who's been reaching out with their kind words. Have a great day. Love you, Mom. Love you, Ralph. <laughs>
Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is born in Cleveland, raised in Brooklyn, restaurant owner, brewery owner, bar owner, a creative professional chef specializing in plant-based ingredients and cannabis-infused cocktails. He is an entrepreneur who owns Wolfie's Nashville Hot Chicken, owner of plant-based uh, Nashville Hot Chicken Restaurant. He's a part of a Nixon West Hollywood, owner of the Brewery Party Beer Company in West Adams, um, opening up a pizza truck style thing and, uh, and also a new sports bar called Put Me In Coach. Um, we could talk about a whole bunch of different things, but what connected us initially is he's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt under Damian Maya, lived in New York, which we can go back and forth a ton on. And he's also a proud father and a good guy. Thank you for being on the podcast. You like dogs, pizza, and jujitsu. So I had to have you on to talk to you. Thank you for coming on, Jason Eisner. Uh, Nick, man, thank you so much for having me, man. It's a, it's a total honor for me to be here. Man, I appreciate it. I will tell you, I, I look at your Instagram feed and I get like hungry and thirsty <laughs> all the time. And it just constantly, I, I was just spending a lot of time out in California up until everything happened with COVID. And I just missed that whole food scene out there more than anything. And I, I'm like, man, I want to go out there and just sit in like an outdoor patio and have some pizza and like one of those crazy drinks you're doing. But your Instagram feed is outstanding, man. You put great stuff on there. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I love to uh, I love to chef for people. I've been doing it my whole life. Um, I got in the business when I was 12 years old, uh, working uh, with a catering company called Dinner Table. And that was because my mom actually worked like five jobs and, and I'm an only child. So I never got to see my mom in order to just spend some time with her. I just started working in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, I have family, uh, familial roots from Italy, um, from Southern Italy. So my Nona, when I was growing up, uh, spent a lot of time with me in the kitchen. So it seemed like a natural transition to move from a home kitchen to a commercial kitchen. And I've had every single kind of job you could ever have in a restaurant. Oh. <laughs> I've been a dishwasher, a busser and a runner. Uh, I've worked on the line. Um, you know, I've been a fry cook. Uh, I've been a manager, a general manager, and then moved into beverage directing uh, because I really like being behind the bar. It's a lot of fun as a bar chef. Uh, and I like being in front of house too and, and just chatting with people and, and watching them enjoy their food and each other's time. And, uh, and then I became, uh, I made the leap a few years back and opened up my very first bar called Block Party, um, which I actually closed uh, during COVID and pivoted to a restaurant bar. Uh, but it was a super successful program. I feel very blessed to have had that bar for five years. Uh, we broke sales records at Coachella. We started a whole vegan food scene in Highland Park with a lot of our friends who are, are brilliant chefs just popping up on the street. Uh, you know, street food and beer, man, it's it's some of the world's great, greatest uh, greatest pairings. And so and so, yeah, so um, so anytime you're back out in California, man, we're, 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 we're back. We're back. We're back, baby. We're, we're partially open right now. Uh, we have 50% capacity in our patios. Um, but being an East Coast kid, you know, I saw that immediately as a differentiator, especially in Los Angeles. There's not enough. There's not enough bars and restaurants with outdoor patios. And so I've always focused heavily on making sure that the majority of my space is actually outdoors. Um, and so we have large, large outdoor patios. For example, my brewery, um, that's an 8,000 square foot patio. 
So even at 50% capacity, we've got, you know, 155 seats that we can fill. And it's, it's, it's been a blessing, man. We opened a couple of weeks ago um, per the orders of the state and, and we've been full every, every day. So we're really, really happy. That's outstanding, man. That, that's interesting insight too, that you wound up doing that. Cause I know, you know, especially out here, a lot of the places that did not have any of those outdoor options, they, they hit some hard times, man, but that was always one of my favorite things about being in New York in like February and it's freezing cold. And, and then just to be out there, like a, a short flight away, you wake up, you go there and you're having lunch, like in an outdoor patio when the sun's shining. I remember like being out there. I'm like, don't people work? How come every single like outdoor patio in the middle of like a weekday, people are hanging out and eating and drinking, man. But you brought up an interesting topic that wasn't actually on my list, but I feel like we have to address it is, is pizza because being that you, I'm sure have been all over the country tasting different foods and then you have West coast, but long Island, we started talking about initially. And I, you know, I've, I've been all over the country recently in Italy, but I, man, I still love long Island pizza. I, to me, it's still the best and everybody. Cause I spent a lot of time in Chicago. Now the rub is like, well, which is better Chicago or New York. And it's supposed to be this big feud, but I don't even see them as the same food. Like they're a completely different dish for a completely different occasion. So, um, but you're the professional. I would love to hear your take on, uh, on pizzas around the country. Right on, brother. Well, you know, um, I'm first and foremost, I'm a pizza fan. <laughs> I grew up eating pizza and I love American regional pizza and the stories that go with it. I mean, it's so rich in history, man, you know, and, and, and not just um, Italian history, but also like American history is part of our history. Um, so let's just take like the probably the newest regional trend, um, which is Detroit style pizza. Detroit style pizza has an incredible story. Essentially, uh, Italians who are moving to the United States uh, were coming from New York to Detroit, right? The um, Great Lakes region. And there are really two reasons for this, right? The first reason was um, during Prohibition, uh, we could import whiskey from Canada illegally. And so uh, <laughs> uh, fellas involved in, in more of the, uh, you know, organized crime situations were moving there to, to bootleg and bring in, in whiskey. But um, the auto industry was also booming uh, during the Industrial Revolution. So a lot of Southern Italians were moving to Detroit specifically to work for GM and, and to work in the factories. And um, there were these blue steel pans. They're eight by eight pans that auto workers would just kind of throw stuff in, nuts and bolts and keys and stuff like that so that they wouldn't get lost around the shop. And, uh, you know, at the end of the night, being having so much ingenuity as us Italians do, mm -hmm. uh, we would bring home these little blue steel pans and clean them out and throw dough in it and throw that in the oven and you have yourself a nice little personal pan pizza. So the Detroit style pizza was born actually out of Italian auto workers um, who were just moving to the Great Lakes region for, for work. Um, it's, a really, it's a really fun kind of pizza too. Um, it's got a, a higher protein bread flour so there's a company called Justo's that I like to use. Um, you can also use all Trump's, but these flours and learning about flour, uh, learning about bread, bread, bread is a whole thing, man. And pizza is really bread. It's about bread, especially when you go to Italy. Um, but yeah, Detroit style pizza is really great. You mentioned Long Island. I think Long Island has some of the best Italian food in the world. Um, if you go to Umberto's in New Hyde Park, where the grandma pizza was born, it's, it, it's like an out of body experience to be able to have that. Right. It's like, People think of pizza, especially New Yorkers, people think of pizza as street food. Um, and it is. It's great street food. And I think street food is some of the best food in the world. Um, but there's levels of pizza, too. And in terms of style, 
right? So it's hard to pick a style that's better, right? I, I have this conversation with people all the time. Like Chicago is the only real pizza. New York is the only real pizza. It's like, man, I don't know. You, some of the best pizzolos in the world are now in California. Um, there's a dude named Tony Gemiani who's just world famous. He, he authored a, a, the Pizza Bible and uh, he has like a number of uh, pizzerias up in San Francisco. And I think one of the things about California um, is that we just have so much, uh, the quality of our ingredients out here are just epic. Um, and, and even, even the things that surround pizza. So we have like a company out here that blew up that just does uh, canned like San Marzano tomatoes. It's called Bianco de Napoli and it's a hundred percent USDA certified organic company, uh, with a great looking can. Right. Um, and so like, yeah, I mean, re regional pizza, um, to me is like kind of a fun conversation more than it is, you know, like what, what's the best, because honestly, man, you know, what made me fall in love with pizza, uh, you know, outside of New York was Napolitano style pizza. Um, you know, my, my family, um, is from, I have family from Napoli, I have family from Sicily, I have family from Sardinia, uh, Cal Calabria. Um, and for me, when I went to Napoli a few years back for the first time, um, I went to go to eat pizza. Like that was the start of my trip. And I went down the Amalfi coast, just eating pizza and pasta. It was the most amazing trip ever. Um, but when I was in Napoli, I went to Gino and Toto Sor Sorbio's restaurant. It's called Sorbio. They actually opened one in New York City as well. But I'm telling you, man, you got to show up like two hours to three hours early just to find a spot in line. I mean, by, like, you know, they open at 5 p.m. And by noon, there's already 75, 80 people in line waiting to get a table when they open. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. And I got to tell you, man, that was the best pizza I've ever had in my life. It's wood-fired small pies, 90 seconds in, 90 seconds, you know, 90 seconds in and then onto the plate. They didn't have anything on the menu, but wine, beer, and pizza, no salad, <laughs> nothing else, man. And yeah, I, I sat there and ate pizza for probably two hours, just like every bite, just like my mind was exploding. So I think what's cool about pizza is that you can like really kind of delve into it. And with food in general, I find with food and beverage that it really it's more about learning about culture and history than anything else. So when you start learning about Scottish whiskey, for example, you delve into like a whole world of, you know, history and legend and, uh, you know, even spirituality, a way, it's a way of life. I think pizza is like legitimately a way of life, you know? All right. So I know you, uh, you mentioned Scottish whiskey, so I cannot mention Mark Turner cause I'm sure his ears are perking up when he hears that, but how did you and Mark Turner get linked up? Yeah, man. You know, uh, dude, I, first of all, I love Mark so much. He's, he's like a brother, man. He's, you know, he's one of my closest friends and I think how it's, well, so there's a story how we met, but how our friendship kind of started is, you know, Mark is obviously from Scotland and I'm part, part Scottish descended. And so there's that connection. Every time I get to meet a Scottish person, it's a strong bond for sure. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I was, I was opening up an academy out here in Los Angeles and, um, I had had the opportunity to teach for many years at, uh, Eddie Bravo's Academy is out here and at Cobrina's Academy out here. And, um, you know, I just became, uh, you know, you fall in love with jujitsu, right. You know, better than anybody. And, and, and so I just wanted to be around it all the time. And the way to be around it all the time is to either be a full-time competitor, which I did for a long time too, or have a school. And then you can kind of try to do both. And so I wanted to open a school out here, um, had a business partner that I opened it with. 
And, um, you know, we, over the years, have had so many opportunities to train with amazing jiu-jitsu instructors. I got my blue belt from Henzo. Um, I trained with Galvao all the time, almost every weekend, and then Mendez Brothers. And, uh, you know, I have tremendous respect for all those guys. But when it came down to, like, who do I want to represent when I open up an academy of my own, it always came back to, like, who do I respect as a person, like, over and over again. And so Damian Maya was at the top of that list. Um, the way he carries the flag for jiu-jitsu and MMA and the way he carries himself. Plus, I, you know, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 20 years. So I got to see a lot of videos of Damian back in the day, even in the gi competing uh, in Brazil against people like Jacare and stuff like that. And he's just all around just like a stellar jiu-jitsu guy, but even just like a even cooler person. And so he was having a seminar at Mark's school in Chicago or that Mark was throwing um, both at his school and at um, the high school there uh, in yeah. Naperville. And, uh, and, and we flew out and, you know, Mark was nice enough to invite us to the private seminar that was going on for a week that was for affiliate owners only. And, you know, that was it, man. It was like Damien came out to visit um, after that in California. I brought him to one of the restaurants that I was a partner in at the time, which is in West Hollywood. It's called Gracias Madre. It's a plant-based Mexican restaurant with a mezcal and tequila bar. And, um, and it was in that moment that, you know, we asked Damien, like, will you be our master? You know, will, will you be the guy ultimately who, you know, um, I'd be lucky enough to get a black belt from someday. And, uh, and then we opened up the Academy in LA. So meeting Mark was, you know, he was just, he's the man. He, you know, he made sure we always had a good time. Um, and, and Mark is the best man. He's a blast. Every time he comes out to visit in California, we, we compete a lot together. So he'll come out here and stay with me, um, play with my daughter. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll compete and then we'll go out and rage. It's really fun. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah. He's a good dude. It's interesting too, because I, I know that, um, you know, a lot of the people that listen to the podcast are familiar with jujitsu or have started taking jujitsu, but I don't hear as much about the lineage and people like representing it and what you said might not be, I don't want to say, I don't want to like date myself and sound like the old guy, but for like the new jujitsu guys coming through, they might not really understand what a big piece that actually was and is of it. And, you know, I, I'm the same way, like anywhere I train all over the country and I always ask Matt Sarah first. And he's always like, you don't have to keep asking me permission. I was like, yeah, but you know, it's important just to know, like anywhere I go. And I remember there was a few other guys that were saying, they asked Matt, like, hey, can I go train at this place? And he was like, all right, well, here's the one that I'm like, do this, don't do this, make sure this. And he was like, well, who are you going with? And they were like, they call me Nikki Knuckles. He's like, oh, we're going with Knuckles. He's like, just do what he does. So, and I realized that, that it wasn't, I thought it was like, don't go there and suck a jujitsu, but it wasn't. It was like, no, no, no. I need to know that you're going to go there and be like a good dude and a representation of me and my gym and Henzo. And, and you know, that, that doesn't really leave once you develop that sense of loyalty and all the names you're saying, like Galvao, Damien Maya and Mark Turner, and you train with Hicks and Gracie, you train with Henzo Gracie. Like those are Mount Rushmore guys on that mountain. And I've always said like from the top down, like any business, you know what I mean? Like if you have good leadership at the top, that's going to trickle down. And I feel that from Henzo to Matt. And I definitely get that from Mark, man. He's always a good dude. Park guy gets up with the crack of dawn, works all day, trade stocks, helps people family guy, dog guy, then goes and trains all night and beats everybody up. And he's always got a smile on his beard. So yeah. I love that. I think that's, that's awesome. Cool. So I, I definitely want to do a deep dive into jujitsu, but I, I definitely want to ask a couple of things first that I thought were interesting that 
Um, for people who aren't super familiar with you yet, you do have a little bit of a niche with vegan meals and with cannabis infused cocktails. And I think that that's really cool and really interesting. And, and from the, from the, from the health side of it, I'd love to hear what got you down that path. And then I'd also like to hear from the cooking side and the business side, did you feel like it was limiting you at all when you went down that road for, you know, maybe, you know, there's a, a, a preconceived notion people have that maybe plant-based food or vegan stuff doesn't have as much, you know, whatever dumb, dumb misconceptions people have without trying it first. Yeah. So, you know, dude, it's interesting. I think, um, vegan is, is a, is a, is a word that was used for marketing and it has like political connotations to it. Right. Um, I think a plant-based diet is more accurate to how I live my life. Right. I mean, I fly in airplanes where there's leather seats and I'm not like freaking out. (laughs) I mean, um, so, um, look, I, I adopted a plant-based diet because I was competing in jujitsu and uh, I had known people over the years um, that were just savages on the mat, really, really tough competitors that were vegan. And, um, and, and I always wanted to kind of give it a shot. Um, so I, I did it for a few tournaments to cut weight. And I was able to cut tremendous amounts of weight in shorter periods of time without feeling weak and without losing my energy and without losing muscle mass, to be honest with you. Um, I, I don't push it on people. I'm not sure that it's for everybody. Like Mark and I will, for example, go to dinner and he'll be eating a steak across the table for me. And that's totally fine by me. Like I have no, no agenda with, with, with my diet. Um, as it relates to business, I, you know, started to get to know other plant-based entrepreneurs and chefs and people who were making those changes in their lives. And, uh, and, 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 and things just started to kind of fall into place. Um, I look at plant-based restaurants as like completely inclusive, to be honest with you. So for example, if I go to a steakhouse as a plant-based eater, well, uh, carnivores are happy because they're getting, you know, everything they want on the menu. But oftentimes for me, there's like one option, right? Like a salad (laughs) where (laughs) if you own a plant-based restaurant, you know, especially as far as like plant-based meats and seitan and stuff like that has come, it's kind of more all-inclusive to be honest, because there are things for carnivores to eat that still give you sustenance and comfort and make you feel like you're eating a meal that's more right for you. And so, um, I started looking at, uh, vegan restaurants as, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? Um, I opened up a mezcal and tequila restaurant, uh, called Gracias Madre in West Hollywood won some awards, uh, for my work in the beverage program there. And, um, I, I remember somebody saying, well, isn't that limiting? Like, only serving tequila and mezcal, that seems like it's incredibly limiting. And I thought to myself, actually, it's, it's specification, right? It's, it's, it's giving me, it's giving me a kind of a framework to work within. And when I'm in something like that, I, I feel like it actually opens up so many doors. It forces you to be more creative and not just rest on your laurels or what you know, or what you think you're good at. So it's almost like jujitsu where it's putting you in a bad position or in a position where it's uncomfortable. And that's where most of the growth comes from for me. So, um, yeah, I, you know, in business, I look at it as a market differentiator as well. Um, and you know, if you're looking for say meatless Monday has become a thing, right. Um, you know, I, I think it's all about who you're marketing to. So, uh, we've done, you know, data collection on my restaurants and, and our customer base, and we find that well over 80% of our customers are people who eat meat regularly. 
they just throw vegan in as a almost like a, a style of cuisine nowadays, as opposed to a political statement. And there's so many options, especially in Los Angeles. I mean, I know in Chicago and in New York as well, um, there's amazing options for plant-based eaters in those three cities. But in LA, you can have great meat, vegan Mexican food. A very close friend of mine, a, a chef, Jared uh, Simmons, just opened up um, uh, an incredible taco spot in West Hollywood called Taco Vega. And he's doing insane stuff. Like he's using certain mushrooms to create like carne asada. And when you eat it, especially in a taco, it's like you're eating a homemade tortilla. You got all these accoutrements on top of it that give it flavor and texture, acid and heat. And then, you know, you got like this thing inside of it that tastes like meat, right? And um, and it's it's a whole food. It's not even like a, a plant-based, uh, you know, uh, an animal product, right? Like a burger or something. It's like mushrooms. So yeah, man, I mean, that's, that's kind of the gist of the breakdown of, of veganism. And by the way, there's, there's people in, in this game doing incredible work, man, like to the point where you actually will start to, even as a person who might be like a carnivore, just crave that person's food. Um, you know, and, and I, I think you'll find this is to be funny. It's like, as, as a, as a person who's Italian as well, with family from Italy, it's like, whenever I would visit cousins or people on the East coast and tell them that I was vegan now, they'd be like, so what, what do you mean? You like, you could still eat veal. Right. And I'm like, no, man, that's like a, that's a baby animal. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it crosses so many cultural things now, but it's interesting because when I was actually in Italy, um, it was super, it's super easy to be vegan in Italy. You know, it's like 90%, especially in Southern Italy where, they're using like semolina flour and olive oil and water as opposed to more like Northern Italian style cuisine that uses a lot of eggs and stuff. It's all fresh roasted vegetables, you know, fresh baked breads. Um, and yeah, I mean the food in Italy, you can have some of the best pizzas in the world with no meat or cheese. It's mind blowing, man. It's, it's about that crust, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Italy was an interesting experience for me because I didn't really know what to expect and I was just going to be open to everything. But I, I was I was sort of there solo for the daytime at least. And I wanted to go out and do all these things and see all these things. So I was getting up early and I really want to have my energy. So my initial thought was like, I don't want to eat the pizza and pasta until later because I'm going to be in like a food coma all day and I'm going to have brain fog. And I was able to eat pizza and pasta all day. And I never got that like emotional or energy dump like you get when you eat like a big pizza here. Like, I, don't, I don't know what that is with the ingredients or something, but it was, it was like a completely different experience, which was, it was great. You know, it was awesome. Absolutely, man. I, you know, it's funny you say that dude, cause I, I was, I was eating so much food in Italy and I lost, <laughs> I lost weight. I legitimately lost weight. And some people will say, well, yeah, that's cause you were walking around the towns and stuff like that and burning off the food that you're eating, which is potentially true. Um, but uh, there's a big debate about this actually, because the products in Europe in general uh, are better. And I know that I'm going to get a lot of flack for that because we have, we have great products domestically as well. But, um, in, in, in Europe, you have to mark something when it's not organic. So it's, it's almost like the, you know, the, the, the kind of paradigm is, is shifted. Like here we eat a lot of genetically modified foods, a lot of processed foods, and we eat a lot of foods that are not organic in nature. Um, and I'm not even getting into the politics of that. It's just that we have to market if it's organic here and over there, it's the reverse. Like if you, if you're using a product that is not automatically assumed to be organic, it needs to be labeled, uh, with a sticker. And I find that to be very interesting. They're also using in terms of wheat, um, every, everything, as you know, in Europe, especially in Italy, 
is so hyper local. It's like the flower comes from a farm that is three miles away and it's an heirloom varietal. And it just is something that people with our DNA and our blood types have been eating for thousands of years. Right. And so we just are able to process that food easier. Um, and that, and that's sort of pseudoscience, but that, that is a big debate in like the food science space. So. That's cool, man. It's, it's interesting. I, I love your brain because I can tell whatever it is that you're doing, you're, you're digging deep into it and you're learning about it. And I, that's probably one of my favorite things about this podcast is when people come on with stuff that I don't really understand the deep dive of. And I watch it and I'm like, that's the same way they fell in love with jujitsu and you fell in love with like bread and pizza and all those different things. And I love talking to people and getting to know that stuff and seeing how much stuff below the surface that most people don't even think about goes into like everything in life. It's, it's pretty awesome, man. So I respect the fact that you like, no pun intended, but it looks like you bring your A game to everything <laughs> that you do, man. That, that's why it's a good fit. And so another question for you is, do you have a background in, in arts? Like, are you... Because you're 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 not only your your meals have creativity to the stuff that you're doing and the ingredients and the way you're putting together, but your actual aesthetic presentation is is badass, dude. Like that one picture that I think is circulating a lot with like the cannabis infused drink, and it's got like the cannabis leaf on the top of the like, dude. It, it's it's really nice to look at. Like it's pleasantly pleasing. Is that something that comes from your background as well? Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. No, you know it's um. I, I have this conversation with people all the time and, and I'll say, take any famous chef um, and put them in a kitchen with me, any famous chef. And we're both going to make something simple, right? We're going to make macaroni and cheese, or we're going to make a hamburger and fries. If I, and I just believe this to be true. If the famous chef who's in the kitchen with me just sloppily puts everything on a plate and puts no care into the presentation of the meal, we could be using the same exact ingredients. If I make it look beautiful, I just feel that if you were eating both meals, you'd always kind of subconsciously feel like the one that looked aesthetically pleasing to be better. And, and, I, and I think that's because food culture is about hitting all the senses. It's totally true, right? I'm, I'm an advanced sommelier and I got a chance to study with some really great teachers, including somebody named Peter Neptune, who's a master sommelier. And he explained to me that people always, uh, we were talking about labels, we were talking about European wines, and we were talking about why there was this blowing up trend in this Central Coast California raw wine scene, when to most traditional wine drinkers, they would think this wine is garbage, it all tastes like vinegar, right? And to his point, it was like, but people are attracted to beautiful labels, people are attracted to something new and fresh, some of these old European wines, they might taste delicious, but the bottle, it just looks like a, you know, like an old grandpa. There's nothing that's aesthetically pleasing to a younger person. And so I really started thinking about that, that we do, we eat with our eyes first, always. And when something drops in front of you, a plate of food, a cocktail, and it looks beautiful, the kind of surprise and delight that you see over and over again on customers' faces is sort of proof positive to me that where food culture has gone is that we want to hit every sense. We want to hit like aroma. It's got to smell good. It's got to look good. It's got to taste good, of course. And for me, I put so much time in the kitchen uh, and into my craft that, you know, it would be a shame to not try to hit all those things. It's almost like for me, it's, it's assumed that it's going to taste good, but can I make it beautiful so that when it hits the, the table, you're automatically excited about it. 
Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He's played all over the world and he's also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. Man, I think that that's awesome. And that really ties into everything that I always try and talk about because some people only want to do enough, you know? And I, and I feel like that's really what separates it is people go, well, I tried this and I did this. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you have to go the extra mile. You have to put that extra little bit of something special in there. And even if, you know, the people don't know why, like, you know what you put into that, you know what you did for that. And I feel like other people in your industry they appreciate those extra things. And that's what starts to get you the reputation as the guy who, who is legitimate and like does the stuff and cares about his product and has a good reputation for it. And I feel like that carries over into everything, you know, and just in life in general. Thank you for that, man. I, I appreciate you saying that. And you know, this is the thing in what I, I think of myself as a lifelong student. I, I don't have an ego. I don't think I'm very important. I don't take myself too seriously. I just put my time and my work in. I study really hard. And, uh, and, you know, and I get in there and I do the job. And, and, and one thing that occurred to me um, over the years is that our, our greatest asset is our time. It's the one thing we don't get back. And if you're wasting it, I, I, I had this conversation with a close friend of mine. I said, man, if I had a bottle of liquid and that liquid was extra 10 minutes of life and you were on your deathbed and I could give you this bottle, You'd give me anything you owned, all your money, all your assets, uh, you, you know, your, your home, everything for that extra 10 minutes. And what would you do with it? You know, you wouldn't waste it. You would like call up your mother and you'd call up your friends or, you know, you know what I mean? Like you'd, you'd spend that time like valuably. And so with me, I always think to myself, if I'm doing something, I have to pour myself into it or I should be finding something that makes me feel inspired to do that. Cause I don't want to do anything half-assed. I'm 42 years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, my time is, is, is every day as I wake up and I'm like, it's a birthday again. You know, I'm, I'm alive again today. I'm healthy uh, and I feel blessed and I want to get out and I want to do my, my very best. So absolutely. I think like if you're going to spend your time on something, do the very best job you can do. I absolutely love that, man. And then, um, so as I know you're, 42, man, you look, you look outstanding. So I know you, you <laughs> a lot of things. You're welcome for, for obviously eating and cooking and, and exercise and stuff like that. But as far as the cannabis side of stuff, is that part of, did you get into that because of the food or because the health and then find a way to mix it? Like how, how did that part really mix into what you're doing? I, I think this is a fun story actually, dude. Um, I was living in Brooklyn. Uh, I had a, a condo in Kensington and, um, and, and, and uh, a friend of mine had come to visit me from San Francisco, who was from Long Island, actually. And, uh, and she was a psychologist. And she had snuck with her 
uh, some cannabis. And she actually, what she, not, not, not saying that people should fly on airplanes, <laughs> country, but that's actually what happened. And, um, and she had brought uh, the Indica strain with her. So a lot of people don't know that there's, you know, the two main strains of cannabis are Indica and Sativa, right? A simple way to break this down is that Indica is focused mostly on your body, um, does alter your state of consciousness for sure, but it's a body high. So it's that high that makes you sleepy, um, you know, kind of helps people with aches and pains, whereas Sativa is an upper, it's like drinking a cup of coffee. And it's that thing you do sometimes for some people before they exercise or before they paint or before they're gonna write their you know, great American novel or whatever it is, right? And um, at the time, it's funny, man, cause I didn't like cannabis at all. I, uh, I experimented with cannabis like most American kids, you know, when I was a teenager, you know, smoking brown weed and not <laughs> never, <laughs> never liking it, never feeling good and always feeling paranoid. And, and so I, I just didn't think cannabis was for me. And, and then uh, my friend who came out from San Francisco to visit in, in, in Brooklyn was, was like, you got you to try this. And, and, I, and I want you to read this book. It's, it's by a Harvard, uh, you know, uh, doctor um, who specializes in uh, drugs, essentially, and meditation. His name is Dr. Andrew Weil. And the name of the book was The Natural Mind. And in that book, he talks about how nobody knows how to be high. You have to learn how to be high. And you have to really understand what cannabis is doing to you on a biological level so that when you do experience something that is confronting, like uh, excessive dry mouth or an increased heart rate or something that makes you panic, uh, that you can just address it in the moment. Like, this is actually normal. I'm supposed to have excessive dry mouth from cannabis from time to time. I'm supposed to have an elevated heart rate from time to time. And you can just kind of talk to yourself and talk yourself through that anxiety. And I think if people could learn to do that, man, it opens up so many doors because cannabis, it's got so many properties that are healthy, especially for athletes. And we're seeing that more and more, you know, I mean, Nick Diaz has cardio for days. No, Nate Diaz has cardio for days. Um, Yeah, I I got a chance to talk with Nick at my restaurant. He came to Gracias Madre years ago. I have a funny picture of him on my Instagram drinking uh, snow cone cocktails. Um, And, uh, you know, I got a chance to talk to him and he's, he's always getting high before he goes and does his triathlete stuff before he fights, you know, and, and I got to admit, like fully admit, like I get, you know, I get high before I compete. I get high before I train. It's not always smoking. Uh, sometimes it's vaping. Sometimes it's, you know, tinctures. And, uh, but what I did at the restaurant and how I decided to try to bring this all together was, um, my love for the quality of ingredients, uh, it started to occur to me that there was this thing happening in California where people also wanted to get something good out of when they were doing something naughty. Right. So, you know, you're going out drinking, but you know, you don't want to drink like GMO products or you want to drink something organic or you started to see other athletes and like even celebrities like the rock, for example, was like, I only drink tequila. Right. And it's true. It's like some of these things that your, your body breaks them down differently. It's easier on your body. It's not to say that any alcohol is in, you know, good for you per se, um, especially in excess. But if you're going to imbibe, it's like, hey man, uh, I can make your drink blue with curacao, which is food coloring, or I could make your drink blue with spirulina, which is actually like, you know, one of the most nutrient dense food in the world. And so if you're going to have this like crazy cocktail, why not make it blue with something like spirulina? So it's actually giving you some love back. And that's what I started doing at Gracias Madre with the cannabis cocktails. I actually 
was on the cover of the LA Times for being the first person in the world in a restaurant or bar to put CBD in alcoholic beverages for uh, sale for c- consumption to the to the public, and it wasn't legal at the time. Um, CBD <laughs> was <laughs> CBD was in this gray area, and I remember I'm on a, a call with my partners and our lawyer Mark Lehman at the time. And I go, look, man, uh, staff members saw me playing. I built a whole menu with CBD infused cocktails uh, so that it's out there. People know that it's going to happen and we can either get the credit for it or somebody's going to like loose lips, sink ships and talk and somebody else is going to do it. So I'm legit giving you 48 hours to tell me that I'm fired if I do it and I'm going <laughs> to do it, you know? And, uh, and, and I don't think they were willing to fire me at the time because my program was doing so well. And so I just kind of got away with it. And, um, I had this whole CBD menu um, with different levels of CBD with an explanation on the menu as to what CBD does to you. And it just kind of blew up. It just became this crazy thing where, you know, we would have, it's a big restaurant and it was very popular in general, which I'm very happy to say we we worked really hard on that restaurant. And, and there would just be like lines out the door the bar was a madhouse. And it was like, yeah, at one, at a certain point I thought like my staff hates me, you know, <laughs> I did this thing and it kind of helped get my name out there. But now, you know, they're sweating for 12 hours straight. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really cool. And, and CBD I think is one of those things that has really taken off in the jujitsu space as well. I mean, people can see like, dude, it, it's, it's rejuvenating, you know, it's like so helpful for your, for your, for your joints. And Mark, Mark Turner, our good buddy, you know, he's got a CBD sponsor and takes it regularly. I think it's really, really helpful, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because the, first off, the stuff you said about being high is, is interesting because it's the kind of thing where since the time I was like 14, you know, even to the time I was 40, I still have those like, why do I do this? I don't like this. I'll never do this again. And then like a couple of days later, you're like, All right, I'll try it again. <laughs> so learning, learning how to like balance that. I think it all goes back to those parallels. Like you said of, you know, Ali Quinta said it really great one time. I was like, dude, you, the guy was offering to come to New York and fight you. And you were like, no, I'm going to go to Australia. And he's like, I get a lot out of digging myself into a hole and seeing if I can get myself out. And I feel like that mentality for life, for jujitsu, like if you can train yourself, like I'm freaking out, I don't know, calm down, talk mm-hmm. yourself through this. I'm going to mount it. I'm getting my ass kicked. No, no, calm down. Elbow escape. Like that has always been one of the best things to me about martial arts in general is I found out of everything I've done in my life, jujitsu specifically has taught me to calm down and find a way out of a touch, tough situation without panicking. And that has transferred directly over pretty quickly after training into real life. And I, I think that that's a quality that every human should have. But yeah, man, you, you were saying something so on point. It was great. And like it, yeah, man, like there's a certain spirituality, like that, not to sound cheesy, but that I think like getting a black belt jujitsu man is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I'm sure you, you know, you, you can attest uh-huh. to this. It's like you go, you go to, you go to college for four years and then you go to get your master's and that's seven years. And there are people that can get a black belt within that period of time, especially if you're training all day, every day. But I mean, I trained for something like 15 years before I got my black belt and you just, you know, you get insane injuries and, you know, like time off the mat and depression and all, you know, and it's like, you kind of find, like you were saying, you find this, this path of like learning that things that are confronting are not bad, that things that are in fact confronting help you grow as a person and, 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 and how it, like you mentioned, how it translates to all other aspects of life. And I fully agree with that. 
And I think with things like cannabis, you know, like you said, that was a really funny story. I could totally like relate to it when you were saying that you would do cannabis and not have a good experience and be like, why did I do that? Never doing it again. And then four days later, you're like, I'm going to try it again. Totally get that. And it's like, you know, the thing about cannabis is so interesting in how it relates to like jujitsu and, and what we're discussing here about being confronting is that's what it is, man. It's like when you can have the mental shift of this thing is bad. I don't like it. It's scaring me. It's making me feel something. And you go kind of spinning out on that. And, and when you can just look at it, like life is a constant ebb and flow. It's not supposed to always be super easy or happy or, you know, something is confronting me and I can just let it be that it's confronting me. Um, and, and look at it like, what is this showing me or what does this have to teach me right now? Um, I've delved a little bit in this quarantine that we've had here over the last year into psilocybin uh, because they're putting it on the ballot out here in California as to be something that will be legalized similarly to marijuana um, or, or how cannabis has been uh, legalized out here in California. And uh, I have some friends who are, you know, in the medical field who are now like, kind of shifting their scientific knowledge to like magic mushroom chocolate bars and, you know, and, 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 and you can go deep, you can go real deep. And it's really interesting how that, how that can show you some things to look at, but you can also microdose. Um, and they've found these kind of like repair, like it's kind of like repairing your neurological system. If you do that, um, like on a biological level, like they can prove it. And so uh, the first part of, you know, quarantine with everything going on and me being a restaurateur and a bar owner, I didn't have jujitsu. I didn't have these outlets anymore that I typically had. It was kind of creepy to, you know, early on when we didn't really know how this thing worked, it was like creepy to go for a jog in your neighborhood. You know, I mean, I got, you know, an elderly mom that I, that I take care of and I have a six-year-old daughter. And so I was really concerned about, you know, me being selfish or maybe passing something to, to my family. And so I really wasn't taking care of myself physically. And when that happens, especially to a person like us who, you know, to get a black belt, you have to fall in love with it. It becomes part of you. And um, not having that as an outlet, as a form of therapy, it was like, man, what am I, I going to do to take care of my mental health? So I started microdosing psilocybin a little bit, and I found it to be incredibly helpful. Um, that with CBD is, it's a dream come true. <laughs> No, I, I agree with a, a lot of stuff you just said. One of them, the CBD thing, I, I'll talk to people and they go, I tried it. It didn't work. Well, what would you do? I, I took it a couple of times. Nothing changed. And what my experience with it was, was I, I took it every day because people were like, yeah, take it every day. And I did. And I didn't notice anything for like two months. And then all of a sudden I was, I was out on the road and I forgot it or I ran out of it. So I didn't have it for a few days. And all of a sudden, like my neck, like all these things came back that I was like, oh, I forgot about those things disappeared. And it, it took me a few times of that happening to like find the, the common factor. And I was like, I'm like four days off of the CBD. Like I, I'm realizing now that you don't all of a sudden feel a difference. You just, all these things start to disappear that you forgot you had. And that is like what I tell people is you have to consistently give it a try for 30, 60 days and then like look at it, but the, the microdosing too, that's something that I recently, I started doing. And that, that was another thing that I was nervous. I, I bought like a little bottle of it and I just didn't take it for months. Cause I was like, what if I take a drop and then I'm driving and, and everyone was like, it's not like that. So I gave it a go and just that little bit, you know, he, my, my, my friend who's another black belt was telling me he's got a high powered attorney friend 
And he was, he was having a similar discussion of like, I know you have shit to take care of, you'll be fine. And he said the guy would wake up every day with this massive anxiety of like, I got these cases, I have this guy, I got this, people's lot, like, you know, the normal, probably lawyer pressure. And he said, after taking the, 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 the microdosing for like a month, he would wake up in the morning and the only difference he felt was his first thought wasn't, oh my God, like today, all these problems, he would wake up and go, oh, look, it's pretty nice out today. Oh, look, that, that tree. And like, it just, his approach to the day was way, like his first thoughts were positive, not negative. And it allowed him to handle all that stuff better. And, and that's still something I'm experimenting with, but I, I really haven't heard any negative stuff from people trying that. So I think that's, that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, it, it's super helpful, man. I, you know, I, I think too, you know, look, it's a lot of our conceptions for those of us that are a little more rigid in our thinking, um, you know, they, like, we got to ask ourselves, like, where do those things come from? You know, like culturally speaking, people around the world have been using cannabis. They've been using mushrooms for as long as, you know, human recorded history. And, and, uh, and, and you typically speaking in religious and spiritual ceremonies, like almost honoring themselves and the earth and, you know, and, and, and and not to get too hippy dippy about it, but it's kind (laughs) of like, you know, it's like, if, if there's something in the world that is not going to harm you and it's not going to harm anybody else. And it's natural. It comes from the planet, comes from the earth. And you can take this thing and wake up and your entire paradigm of the way you see life has shifted from something where you're struggling and it's negative to something positive where there's possibility. I'm all for it, man. You know what I mean? Like for me, and I get it. I'm an LA guy. I'm out here, you know, all liberal (laughs) and weird, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's like, I think we get a lot of us too involved in what other people are doing. And it's like, Hey, if it's not hurting you and it's making their life better, you know, by all means, like help yourself, you know? I agree, man. I think, I think it's, it's probably one of the best times it's been in a long time for people being more open-minded to a lot of that stuff. And I think it's going to open a lot of doors, man. You know, even in my life, like, you know, my family members that are in their seventies are like, Hey man, like, could, could you maybe bring me over an edible? Like, I've always wanted to try, you know, like, I would have never, like, five, ten years ago, like, oh, you did this, you know, so. Um, but but entrepreneur-wise, I definitely want to touch on that because I know you're doing a lot of stuff. And and I always think it's fascinating. You know, people want to get into real estate and they have friends and family that are like, oh, it's tough business. You lose all your money. Blah, blah, blah. Like, and everybody's got an opinion on stuff. And you going into the bar and the restaurant industry, that's standardly known as a top industry to break into and especially you doing it in like you know being in new york and then going to la i imagine that adds a whole other layer of like well you're going to do it and you're going to try and open a successful everybody's got a restaurant in la like everybody so what was it like initially for that entrepreneurial mindset did it did it freak you out at first or did you worry about the competition of it and how was your friends and family's attitudes towards you jumping into that so um yeah, you know, convincing other people that you're not insane is probably the funniest part of being a restaurateur. You know, people, you know, and it's true. And it's true in a lot of ways. It's 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 not only incredibly hard work, um, you know, but then you have to manage people and personalities. And you know, kitchens are notorious for having a lot of uh, flamboyant personalities. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, man, I, I'm I don't want to sound cocky here because. Um, you know, the truth is, again, I, I don't think I'm very special. I'm, I'm a student and, and, and I am constantly thinking about professional development. I'm constantly thinking about what can I do that 
improve my game and what can I do to, 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 to make me a better uh, restaurateur and entrepreneur. And I think one of the qualities, I never called myself an entrepreneur before another person had a, a very close friend of mine and I were having a conversation and they were like, you know, you are a quintessential serial entrepreneur. Like you, you don't have an emotional attachment to any of your ideas. Uh, and you always execute by putting together a strong team of people and delegating responsibilities and having these people be a part of carrying out this vision and this mission uh, and rolling them to want to do this thing with you. And, you know, you treat people well. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I just know what I'm good at. And so wherever there's a weakness or a hole that needs to be filled, I find the best possible person to do that job and I bring them on my team. And so over the years, I've cultivated a really strong group of people who kind of just get behind me when I want to do something and throw money at it. And I think the reason for that is, you know, I'm really passionate about what I do and I put in the time and the work. You see me in there doing whatever needs to get done when I'm first opening something. And I try to inspire my staff. I try to make people excited about what they're doing. You know, if you're a bartender, you can just be a bartender or you can be a person who hey, let's get you some certifications. Let's get your name out there. Let's get you involved in some competitions. You know, we, we could go, you know, get you with my friends over at Picardi and have you out like traveling the world as an ambassador for a product that you feel passionate about. Um, so really this industry is so full of possibilities when it comes to education and growth. And, um, you know, with opening restaurants, I've got a, I've got a, a favorite quote that I've made almost entirely my career um about and it is leap and the net will appear so i i literally I, I have no fear when it comes to opening a new business i have no fear like during covid for example you know a lot a lot of my friends and it, it makes me really sad man because i know people that waited their whole lives to have their restaurant or bar open you know they put their houses on the line they have families and they have kids and they lost everything you know i mean out here in california it was really tough man restaurants got hit so hard and uh and, and, you know, a lot of these people decided to close up shop and, 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 and I just want to say to those, to the, to those people, it's, they, they did nothing wrong. You know, it was a tough time and it, it might've made sense for, for people to, uh, you know, close up shop and keep their finances more secure and hope to open up again when things change. But I'm, I'm just the kind of person that just can't stop moving. You know, it's like, there's this conversation in the Sopranos. It's one of the best shows ever somebody's like, you know what happens to a shark when he stops moving, he dies, right? And that's kind of me, right? I, I can't stop moving. It's like during COVID, I was thinking about pivoting, right? So I closed this business that I had. We were doing insane numbers for five years. We were one of the most popular bars in LA. And I purposefully didn't have a, a kitchen component to that program because I wanted it to just be a nightlife spot. And, you know, nightlife spots with no kitchens, we were closed since last March and still haven't been able to open in LA. So instead of closing up shop, I decided to open up Wolfie's with my good friend. I had, you know, these decks in the pipe for years. Like when I find the right space, the right community to just kind of stick one of these in, I'm just going to do it. And a lot of restaurateurs, they're like, I want to have a pizzeria. And then they go to a neighborhood that has a ton of stiff competition or they just don't know how to execute or they, they try to put, a, you know, what is it, a, a square peg in a round hole? And it just doesn't work, right? You, you got you to gotta be able to look at a neighborhood and the demographic. You got to be able to see a bigger picture. Um, I always, I always like the way um, they do it at Audi. Um, so when developers and designers at Audi are, are coming up with a new car concept, 
they have to create a full-on deck to pitch the car and it has to dis- discuss in detail the ideal client. Who is this person, right? And they go into real detail. They'll make up a character. This is, you know, this is this is uh, Janie Smith. She lives in West Hollywood, California. She's 34 years old. She has blonde hair. She makes X, Y, Z amount of money per year. She has this career. She spends this much on going, like they have like a whole breakdown of how to create an ideal client. And that's something I'm always trying to do with my restaurants, right? So I'm not just opening a pizzeria I recognize that the neighborhood that I live in is high density sports fans, you know, and, uh, and, and they want a place to go out and have a great Negroni. They want a place to go out and have a great margarita, a nice big patio to sit on and watch a game, watch the, you know, soccer teams out here. And um, which by the way, I I, I should mention my brewery just signed a contract to become uh, the official craft beer of LAFC, which is our, uh, our, our soccer team out here that's owned by Will, Will Farrell and Eva Longoria. And a bunch nice. of, yeah, I'm really excited, man. The stadium was gorgeous. We got to tour it and walk out there. And my business partner played soccer all the way through college and traveled the world playing soccer. So it was, it was really exciting to be able to do that. But yeah, that's the thing, right? So I'm not just opening a pizzeria in this neighborhood. I'm opening a pizzeria sports bar. And then, you know, we have um, to respect the neighborhood, the neighborhood that I have been working in for years is, is, uh, culturally, uh, historically a Mexican neighborhood in, in Los Angeles. And that's a big part of our culture as Angelinos out here is Mexican food and Mexican culture. And we're really proud of that. And so, you know, my friend who, uh, lived in Guadalajara for five years and got voted best tacos in LA, he's going to do a whole taco menu there, you know? So it's like, it's not just the pizzeria. It's like, how do I create a restaurant that's right for the culture of the neighborhood that I'm working in, that I'm living in? and then execute that better than anybody can. And that's the goal. I love that, man. And, and again, I think culture is another thing that's been coming up as a common theme. You know, you, even any business like the jiu-jitsu stuff, you mentioned Eddie Bravo, like the 10th Planet guys have a specific culture that you will you know that you're at one of their schools or training with one of their guys, you know, and, and you know, different things, different people with, with top down, I, I think have a very similar parallel with that. And I think it's important. And the fact that you're taking the time to go and understand that is, is another reason why you're successful. You know, we, we recently started putting together a, a development deal out here in Illinois and we were having so much, like we kept butting heads with the city, butting heads with the residents. They didn't like this, they didn't like that. And, and then at some point we just took all of their suggestions and feedback and spent like two months trying to figure out how to give them what they want. And then had an honest conversation about like, you know, this is how we tried to incorporate the culture of what this village is from the trustees to the residents and here's what we were able to do and here's what we weren't and all of a sudden everybody was on board just because they appreciated the fact of like they were like we didn't even really care if you could get it done we just wanted to be heard and we wanted to have somebody who appreciated and it took the time to learn about us and our culture and like that type of thing i think is such a huge part of again life and business that people i think discount or gloss over way too much so man i i think that that's amazing i can't wait to come out and try some of those restaurants Right on, brother, man. That's it's so cool because what you just what you're bringing up for me, what that what makes that occur to me is like the idea of navigating conflict. That's another thing, right? That we learn in jujitsu over the years. It's kind of like if somebody was like talking about like something stupid like bar fights or something, and they're like, "Well, you're a black belt in jujitsu, man," you know. And I go, "You know what a black belt in jujitsu gets you in a bar fight? I'm gonna walk over, put my arm around somebody, and be like." brother, let me just buy you a beer, man. We don't have to have any conflict. That's what a black belt gets you. It gets you the kind of confidence to just navigate life's weird shit (laughs) without having to blow up every five seconds, right? 
so yeah, man, that, that was a really good point. And I, I could totally appreciate your perspective there. Cool, man. Well, again, I don't, I don't want to take up your whole day. You've been really good with your time, but I do want to hear a little bit about support and feed. I know you're doing something. I think you said with Billie Eilish's mom, right? Who my, my yeah. nieces are going to freak out when they hear that, you know, somebody. <laughs> right on, man. Yeah, no, Billie's really cool. She, she comes to the, to the uh, Nashville hot chicken shop quite a bit. She's a plant-based, has a plant-based diet and her mom, um, they're such a cool family, man, her, her mom and her dad. So her mom is a woman named Maggie Baird who started a nonprofit during COVID to try to support restaurants and feed people who needed it. So it's called support and feed. And what she does is she partners with very specific restaurants to create meals, to feed like single moms uh, who are out of work during this time or to feed kids that are uh, out of school that were depending on those lunches, those free lunches for one of their three meals a day. And it's been really amazing to do that with these really special people. And she's out there, man, every day. Uh, you know, we, we did stuff where we, we fed first responders. We fed, you know, people that were, um, you know, just working like 24 hours a day in the ICUs. And to see Billie Eilish's mom, you know, Maggie out there with like my friend Jeanette and all these, these amazing people that are out there, like actually doing the work and feeding people is exceptional. You know, it's like, Billie Eilish is one of the biggest stars in the world and they still live in Highland Park in a 750 square foot house that she's been in for the last 20 years. I mean, these are like really solid human beings. I mean, um, not to say that maybe she doesn't have a vacation house in Rome. I don't know, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's been really cool to be a part of support and feed. That's awesome, man. How, how can people find that? So um, if you go, if you're on Instagram, you can look up support and feed. Um, I think they're starting chapters in other cities, big cities around the world. So you may see this pop up in New York and in Chicago for sure. Um, it's been really successful. And as a nonprofit, she's actually been able to pay uh, for these meals as well. So it's not only supporting the people who need the food, but us restaurateurs have been hit really hard. You know, it helps. It, everything helps. So if we're making a thousand meals a week, you know, at ten dollars a meal and they're paying for those meals. That's, that's something that helps helping us keep our doors open and our lights on. And so it's, it's been a really, a, an amazing experience. Awesome, man. I think that that's outstanding. So, um, what I like to do at the end is called the victory lap. I just hit you with like two or three final questions before we go. Um, uh, my, my first question for you, which I think is the most important one, you know, you're a guy who's around alcohol and delicious food all day, every day. How the hell are you not fat as hell? <laughs> Man, that's a great question. All right, so I start my day every morning uh, with about three hours of jujitsu. And in the first part of COVID, um, I've gotten my two vaccines now. And so I've worked out something with a very close friend of mine, another, another black belt. We get together and we train now. But uh, before that, I was just down there on my grappling dummies every morning for three hours. I do an hour and a half of passing drills and an hour and a half of guard retention drills. And, you know, it gets you a good sweat you know, doing a little gymnastica natural hour, the, the, the warmups from Henzo's or, or like Matt's Academy. Um, and, and, you know, just keep keeping my mind and my body as fit as possible. And then, you know, I eat a lot of vegetables, man. I eat a lot of fruit, uh, but I'm not going to lie. I do have pizza and I do have beer every single day. And, uh, and my nutrition coach, a very close friend of mine named Tommy Santos, who's actually now over in uh, Manchester in the United Kingdom, working with a professional soccer team over there. Um, you know, he, he's one of the most athletic fit dudes I've ever known. He's a purple belt in jujitsu. We trained all the time together. 
And I'd ask him, I'm like, how are you so fit, dude? You're always posting foodie shots on your page or whatever. And what he talked about actually was it's all about your relationship to food. Like he can have a cheat meal every day because he's watching all the other intake that he's having. And he realizes that if he does eat something that's not super healthy, quote unquote, for you, um, that you've got to work, you got to work it off. You got to be physical as well. And so you got to burn those calories. And so I, I hope that that's been a part of it, but you know, for me, and I know this has been a long answer. I love pizza. It makes me happy. And so I think that like happiness is contributing to overall health and you got to do stuff that makes you happy. So every day I have a, I sit down and I have a slice of grandma pie and a beer and, uh, and I just make sure I train my jujitsu. <laughs> It's like, and it's heaven right there. What, right what, there. More, what more could you want in life? You know, I love that. That's yeah. awesome, man. Um, so the, the last question is, knowing what you know now in life and business, but all the things you've learned, if you had a time machine and go back in time and a younger Jason came and asked you for advice, what advice would you give a younger you today? Man, I would say, don't be afraid to make mistakes that we're actually supposed to. Um, don't get yourself emotionally attached to making mistakes. When you make a mistake, own it. And then try to ask yourself what it is that you can do to learn from it so that you don't make it again in the future. Man, that's freaking awesome advice. And that's great advice for me today because I feel like I've just been making mistakes for the last day and a half now. I'm like running around trying to figure things out. That's awesome, man. So uh, last and certainly not least, you know, I did hear you say a quote, which I thought, man, like it, it's, it sums up everything. Um, you said that you love to hear about people who go to extremes in life to fulfill to, to live a full and complete life. And I think that that is such a great quote for everybody to hear. And that, that's what I love most about it. Everybody that I talk to on the show is that I, it wasn't really real estate. I, I really enjoy and connect with people who do that, who just take something head on and they figure out how to get the most out of life and go after this stuff, despite all the risks and the adversity and the tough and the lack of support and all those things. And, you know, I think that that's why there's usually that mutual connection when you meet somebody that has a high level jujitsu belt or trains under a high level jujitsu gym, you just know that they've been through some tough times to get where they are and they stuck it out. And that says a lot about them as a person. So I very much appreciate that you came on and linked up with me, man. I, I could have literally talked to you for an entire day here. Um, but I do want to hear a little bit uh, in closing, talk about some of your restaurants, some of your projects, your social media, how people find you, how can people link up with you and find you? Thanks so much, Nick. Um, yeah. And it's been an honor to be on brother. So thank you for having me. Um, on Instagram, you can find me just under my name, which is Jason Eisner, and that's spelled E-I-S-N-E-R. Um, I own uh, two locations that we opened during COVID of Wolfie's Nashville Hot Chicken, which is a 100% plant-based Nashville hot chicken shop in both Highland Park and in Atwater Village in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm opening up a sports bar that has a heavy pizza and taco menu, and that's called Put Me In Coach. And that's going to be right down the street from Wolfie's on York Boulevard. And then uh, uh, my brewery, which opened in West Adams during the pandemic, is called Party Beer Co. Uh, we just partnered with the LAFC, as I had mentioned. And uh, we have a beautiful 8,000 square foot patio with a really great pizza truck that's serving Detroit style and grandma style pizzas. Um, we have an incredible brewer who's won about 15 gold medals. His name is Lee Bukowski. So please come by and try the suds and, and have, a, have a slice of pie. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep pushing the envelope, man. That's what I do. I'm going to keep traveling. I'm going to keep learning. Uh, I'm going to keep not taking my myself too seriously. And I'm going to keep pouring my energy and my love and passion into my food and drinks. And hopefully that, that keeps me on my A game. Man, this has been an absolute honor. I got a ton out of a lot of the things that you said and talked about, I think you brought a lot of value and you've, 
You've inspired me to go out and do better today because I was having a tough day. So thank you for giving me your time and working through this with me. And thank you very much for being patient with my uh, crazy internet issues and stuff like that. You've been an absolute standard. I'm very much looking forward to uh, meeting you and getting some food and doing some jujitsu when this whole COVID thing starts to clear up a little bit out here. Cheers, brother. You're always welcome, man. You let me know when you're in LA, you always got a bed to sleep in, a mat to train on, and a place to come get pizza, man. I appreciate that, man. Likewise. And if you're ever in Chicago, New York, I know you got a place in Chicago, but ever want to go to New York and eat some pizza and get some jujitsu with Matt Sarah, I can definitely link that up. I think you guys would get along great. Oh, man. That'd be amazing. I'm a huge fan of Matt. Definitely, man. Well, any final thoughts before I let you go? Oh, man. Just thank you for having me. And uh, again, if you're in Los Angeles, please support your local restaurants. And uh, yeah, man. Thanks and bless. Thank you very much. Jason Eisen, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great day. You have a great day too, brother. So what's it be?